May God bless this reading of his word from Romans 8, verse 12 to 17. So then, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of worship, of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. The least known member of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. It's not surprising because the Spirit of God constantly directs our attention away from himself to Jesus Christ, putting all the focus on him. Yet, the teaching about the person and work of the Holy Spirit is essential to the life of the believer. And if we are ignorant about the Spirit of God, we are greatly impoverished or misdirected in our walk with the Lord. And that's one of the reasons that we are given Romans chapter 8, a chapter about the Holy Spirit. There are many things taught here, but the one which we have reached is in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now we have to remember, of course, that this comes immediately after the thought of our last Lord's Day message. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Those who are enabled to be mortifying the deeds of the body, the only reason they are able to do so is because they are being led by the Spirit of God to do so. So that now we begin to see another facet of the Spirit's work in the life of the believer. Not only does he assist us to put to death the deeds of the body, which remain sinfully within us, but he leads us. In fact, here since the whole theme of the chapter is the security of the Christian, verse 14 comes as a powerful buttress to that truth. Here Paul, by the Spirit, is not speaking of the unbelievers relation to the Holy Spirit. There is such a relation. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to the unbeliever. For example, he restrains the unbeliever from going headlong into such wickedness that would bring about great consequences to him. The Holy Spirit awakens the conscience of the unbeliever and in his own time and way 
and according to his own purpose, brings a spirit of repentance and faith to the unbeliever. These are those gifts. But this matter of being led of the Spirit is a gift which is for the Christian. As many as are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We might say that the sign and security of being led of the Spirit is the assurance of sonship. Let's talk a little further about what is meant here by the leading of the Spirit. We have used the term often. Perhaps it's tarnished, and we need to brighten it. To be led of the Spirit means that one's life is controlled and influenced and regulated by the influence of the Spirit of God over it. What I am referring to here is not in minute particular details, though those are important. I am talking about the general direction and tenor of a man's life. What is the thrust of a man's life? Is he moving toward God's purpose for him? Is he moving toward usefulness? Is there in his heart a growing enlightenment about the nature of God? Is there a hunger to know the blessed Lord himself? Is there a desire more and more to be with the people of God? Is there a greater sensitivity to sin and temptation? These are the directions, the thrusts of a person's life. And being led of the Spirit of God has to do with the way one is heading in these vital matters. Is there a difference between today and last year at this time in these things? You might liken it to the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness moving toward the promised land. They needed a guide, and during the day, there was a cloud that went before them, and at night, fire. Wherever the cloud hovered, they stopped, pitched camp, and stayed. And when the cloud commenced to go, they pulled up stakes and left, whether it was one day, or a month, or six months. They followed. This is in a less spiritual way, what the Spirit does within us in a more spiritual way, He is our leader. He points the direction. The cloud did not tell them where to drive the stakes or what kind of apparel to put on that day. The cloud showed them the direction toward Canaan. And while they followed it and were obedient to it, they were being led of the Spirit How does the Spirit lead? Now that's an important question for every one of you. His ways are various, and so one must be careful here. This word, to lead, suggests many different English translations. It could be as a magnet draws iron out of sawdust. 
It could be as a guide in a foreign city led his visitors through the city to see the sights. God does all of these. To lead might be as a parent taking the hand of a child and leading him across the street. The Spirit does that. It might be just the glance of an eye or a gesture of a hand. Those are leadings too, as every father and mother knows. To lead might be as a commander of an army who has the troops assembled before him and gives minute details about what everyone is to do so that the army may go forward. To lead is like a shepherd who tailors his touch to his flock. He carries the lambs. He gently leads those that are with young. The wayward he deals with more severely with his staff. He strikes them. The veteran, the slightest call, and that older sheep is brought back to the flock. So we cannot standardize the leading of the Spirit. It is varied. But what it does is to bring us in the general direction and move us toward God's purpose in our life. One thing we can know certainly that the leading of the Spirit is always in agreement with the Word of God. You see, the Spirit does not leave with, lead without the Word. It needs the Word. And the Word cannot be understood without the Spirit. These two are inseparable, the Spirit and the Word. The Word of God is our textbook of faith, and the Holy Spirit is our principal teacher. That's why Bacon said that there is something accidental in the learning of all truth. He meant by that that one can't simply look at truth and grasp it, that somehow there is a dimension in grasping that truth that appears to be an accident. But the Christian says that truth is known to me by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is really no accident. But it is that extra dimension which makes truth perceptible. So the Christian is not led by visions or ecstasies or hunches. The Christian is led by the Spirit speaking in the Scriptures. Always these two together. He doesn't drive us, never coerces. The Spirit persuades. That's His way. He's a very gentle and tender friend. When the Spirit of God begins to work, He woos you. He comes in to your heart and prompts you. He says, wouldn't you rather have a spiritual outlook than that outlook? Wouldn't you like to stand against that temptation? He comes to you and says, wouldn't you want to breathe after righteousness and holiness rather than after the things of this world? Oh, his way of leading is so gracious.
never forces, never compels. That's why we read in the responsive reading, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you will go. I will guide you with my eye. Don't be like the mule or the horse which lack understanding. And do you remember that great verse from Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, where we read, and this word is behind you. This is the way. Walk ye in it. Turn not to the left or to the right. The marvelous leading of the Spirit of God, varied, but in agreement with Scripture, corrective rather than protective, constant, not sporadic, controlling but not directing, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. But we have to ask the question, why is this leading so prominent in Romans chapter 8? Well, remember and confess with me, friends, that the energies of our human life have been deadened by the influence of sin, those powers and capacities with which we were made have been put into a state of lethargy by evil influence. They need to be quickened. And we are led by the Spirit as He energizes these latent capacities and brings them into being and stimulates them without the leading of the Spirit We'd have no capacity for prayer or service or suffering. Without the leading of the Spirit, we wouldn't make it to glory. The Spirit's task is to shepherd us from being dead and trespasses and sins until one day He can present us before the Father perfect in Christ Jesus. The Spirit, says the Scripture, yearns over us with jealous envy. He has a jealous envy. He says, you belong to God, and I want you to be someone whom God can be proud of. He has that jealous envy. And as we are in this pilgrimage, moving from earth to heaven, there are many dangers. There is spiritual wreckage along the way. There are all kinds of temptations and diversions and heresies along the way. Unless the Spirit of God took us by the hands and led us by His gracious way, we would deny our blessed Lord. We would go back to our old ways and forfeit the pilgrimage altogether. It is utterly, utterly necessary that the Son of God be led by the Spirit of God. And the leading is itself the preparation so that no encounter you have at the supermarket at the gas station is a chance meeting. Every conversation, every person thrown across your path 
is the Holy Spirit chiseling, polishing, preparing your being for that moment when you will be presented before God. There are no chance meetings. No incident comes into your life uncalculated by the Holy Spirit. It is perfectly calculated to play that part in your life which is necessary in your pilgrimage. No circumstance faces you whose place is not carefully designed in the work of the Spirit. No disaster is allowed to come upon your life that is not carefully weighed and measured to see what effect it will have on your pilgrimage. Don't think that sudden news you received that changed everything is somehow unknown, unweighed, unmeasured by God. Oh no. It has been looked at and turned around and studied from every aspect by the Holy Spirit before it allowed to fall upon you. And only then, and knowing its full place in your pilgrimage, only then did it come. Oh, it's a grand thing to know yourself led by the Spirit, the direction of your life, the tenor of your being, all in consonance with the word of God and all working out the glorious purpose of God of bringing many sons to glory. You see, when you realize this, when you look at this verse long enough, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, you realize that the leading itself is a sign of your sonship. That the leading is toward likeness and the steps toward similarity with God. That the more you're on the road, the more you resemble God in some feeble way. Your conduct, your speech, your character are somehow molded into the image of Christ. How glorious. What a magnificent realization. Why, I have been led into the likeness of God in some small way, and you can't have his likeness and his character and his viewpoint if you're not his child. And by virtue of being led of him, I know I am a son of God. What a way to build assurance, to know whose you are. I think there's no greater realization than knowing that you possess the magnificent dignity of a child of God. There's nothing greater than that in all this universe. For not everyone is privileged to bear that title. It is a common heresy today that by nature, by virtue of having been created, we are children of God. 
But the Bible knows nothing of that. Quite the contrary. Jesus said to unbelievers, You are of your father, the devil. And unbelievers are called in Scripture children, not of God, but of wrath. Children of wrath. We do not enter God's family by nature or by descent, or by merit. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. You see, the certainty comes because we have been placed into the family of God. There's already a son in the family, the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ. He has his place of prominence in the Trinity. He's called the Son of God. But God, in his gracious love, takes a person, setting his love upon him and regenerating and redeeming him. He places that man in a position of sonship next to Jesus Christ, who is now his brother. That's adoption. Someone who was not by nature a son is given the position and privilege and glory of the family. And we have been brought into sonship with God. That's what makes our salvation irreversible. Can anyone here conceive of the Father disowning the Son? Can we ever think of a breach between the Father God and God the Son as if somehow one did away with the other? This is unfathomable and cannot be. And so is your rejection by God. Once he has placed you in his family by adoption next to his own son and loved you with an everlasting love and bestowed upon you the ring and the shoes and killed the fatted calf for your homecoming, there can be no disowning of you. You are his forever and ever. Oh, you will sin against the family of God. Alas, you will grieve your own heart and the heart of God. You may lose the serenity of sonship for a moment, but you can never lose the standing of sonship. There are no loose ends in the kingdom. When the great banquet table is set and the church is gathered from the corners of the globe and all is said and done with Christ at the head of the table, no place will be empty. That place reserved for you because you're a son of God, you will occupy. Oh, glorious assurance. Oh, marvelous perseverance. 
as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. There's your certainty. There's the sign of your sonship. There's the stimulus to vibrant living because the Spirit waits. He is ready to stir you up. He wants to lead faster than he's leading you now. He wants to kindle a whole new spirit of prayerfulness in you. He wants to develop hope like you've never had before. He has a vision of what your faith could be. He wants to see a burning love in your heart. Why, he has a picture of you putting down selfishness that you would hardly recognize. And he wants to make your heart so obedient that it will be completely delighting in the commandments of God. He wants to give you a whole new sympathy for the ungodly so that you begin to reach out to them and draw them to Christ and to your home. The Spirit of God who's leading you, if you're a son of God, he has a vision of the joy and peace that could fill your soul if you'd let him. And so this verse is meant to be a stimulation to the believer to allow the Spirit to lead you further on and not to be content where you are. Because you see, the Spirit aids us. He assists us in our pilgrimage, but He doesn't carry us. He does not carry us. He expects us to take the powers that we have been given and to use them to the fullest. The Spirit of God gives no reward to indifference, to idleness, to laziness. But He rewards mightily self-denial and spiritual labor. He longs to see us take all of the previous lessons He has taught us and all that the Scripture can give us in resource and applying ourselves with all diligence he said, oh, let me lead you. Let me lead you, Christian. I can take you farther than you ever dreamed of if you'll let me lead you. He starts right where you are. Maybe you're conscious today of a great deadness. He'll start there. Just the consciousness of it is his prompting. Ask him now to lead you out of it. Wherever you are, in your spiritual pilgrimage, you don't have to wish you were up there. Wherever you are, he leads. He's yours. He's beside you. Where you are, and he'll take you on. And someday, you know, the Spirit will lead us right up to the presence of Christ. And with the church in hand, He'll introduce us to Christ and say, Here, Master, here, Savior, is the church I have led 
to you as your bride. Oh, glorious day. That's only an extension of what's happening right now. That's exciting. If you're here today and you're saying, I just don't resonate, I don't know what this leading of the Spirit is. I don't see any godly direction, any spiritual growth, any progress at all. Don't despair. Ask the Spirit to awaken you, to give you repentance and faith, and to unite you to Christ, and you'll see a new beginning. And if you're here without any assurance, you've given your life to Christ, and you see the leading of the Spirit, but you have little assurance that you are His. Oh, remember, He brought you out of darkness into light, as many as are led by the Spirit of God. They are the sons of God. There's your assurance. And the more you let Him lead you, the more assurance you will have. And if you're at a spiritual standstill, and the world is trying desperately to draw you back to itself, and you're just here in the church today by the skin of your teeth. It's no accident you're here. The Spirit of God drew you here. He led you here. He wants you to say goodbye to your misery, to your coldness, to your worldliness, and your fascination with the things of this life. And He wants to take you by the hand and lead you from strength to strength from grace to glory, from faith to faith. Let him lead you. He won't begin. You have to ask him, Spirit, lead me into a really Christian life. And he will. Let's pray together. O oh, blessed and gracious Spirit, how we love this great truth of your leading. You are so gracious to be gentle, patient, and persuasive with us who are often reluctant and slow and wayward followers we would be so no longer. We would be quick to follow, glad in obedience, and eager to grow. Lead us, Spirit, each Christian here. Lead us, and we will be thankful and grateful through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.